All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, Let's Be Social. Um, I have a very exciting guest on today. Um, he is a breakout reality star and true crime author. I'm honored and um, welcoming William Steele to my show. And um, he's going to tell you a little bit about himself and his background. And uh, he's just doing amazing stuff. So I'm going to put it over to you, William. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you so much, B, for having me here. Uh, I've been following your stuff as well. Um, you're a heck of a singer. I, I know uh, you did something really special in the Hollywood Bowl. Who, I, I don't know who gets to sing there, but uh, I'm going to have you as a guest on my show, and you're going to tell people how they can find your your music and your channel. So thank you. Uh, I was glad to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. I'm honored. So let's start out with um, just tell me a little bit about your background and and how you ended up getting to be a reality um a reality star well um let's see like i grew up in brooklyn new york right and so my mother was mentally ill so all my life you know i was defending her from you know bullies and problems and people that would be cruel and mean and and so i always wanted to be this guy who stands up for the underdog you know the women children and mentally ill and i i did that for many years and then a friend of mine died i tried cocaine and i got you know i got developed a cocaine problem so i ended up in some trouble but before that, I started taking classes in locksmithing and alarms in New York City. Uh, there was a school at the time teaching that because I wanted to be a James Bond type guy. I wanted to be like, you know, Mission Impossible. The guys that can get, you know, can do anything. They can get in and out of any situation. And they're always helping people, you know, they're working for the CIA or what is it, MI6 or whatever. So I always wanted to be one of those guys. And but I went I went bad when I started trying cocaine, you know. And so I started taking those skills about breaking into locks and houses and uh, jewelry stores, art galleries, and I became a very prolific jewel and art thief. And I stole millions of dollars over the years. I'm not proud of it. I'm not, you know, bragging about my past. But you know, your audience, my audience, you know, wants to hear, you know, how this happened. But mm -hmm. um, so the uh, in, in the middle of all that, I got involved in South Florida with you know trafficking cocaine, lots of cocaine, you know, kilos. Um, you know, up and down I-95, the interstate, um, in various ways from South Florida to New York. <clears throat> also guns. We were running guns back then. So I got involved with many, many things, many, many dangerous people. Anyway, so I started getting arrested. I did a little time. I didn't learn my lesson. I got arrested again. And it was never really for what I was doing because I was getting away with all the scores and stuff I was doing. It was always for somebody saying something about what they think I did or that I did. And so that's why I work alone. So there's nobody to, you know, inform on you. But in the beginning, you know, there was a little of that. And so I did 18 years in prison for nonviolent crime. Um, and during the first part of that sentence, or the earlier sentence, I escaped. So when I escaped, I was actually on America's Most Wanted. And not because I'm dangerous, but because of my skills and the amount of money I'd stolen over the years. So they, they deemed me as a real threat. I got to prison eventually for all that, and I ended up doing about 18 years. And during that time, I spent four years in almost solitary confinement. And in solitary, I'm an avid reader to begin with, and I always wanted to write a book about my life story uh, from the perspective of like, you know, mental illness and how people cope with that. And, you know, what, you know, standing up for my mother and having a, you know, in spite of appearances, superficial appearances, I've always had a very tender heart and, you know, I'm easily, uh, you know, rescuing everybody. <laughs> and it's got me in trouble a few times, you know. 
But um, I, and meanwhile, I couldn't rescue myself from this cocaine addiction. I was just really bad off, and I knew I was bad with it. I don't drink, I don't smoke, you know, weed or cigarettes or anything like that. But uh, so being in prison so long, I decided, because I, I thought I was going to get maybe three years, and then I got 15 years for the escape. And I decided really, you know, I just lost so much during that time. And, you know, almost four years of complete isolation, super max, horrendous prisons, one in Florida um, and then one in Virginia. And just lock, you lock down in the cell 23-7, usually don't have a cellmate, sometimes you do. If you do, it's usually some guy that's real crazy and violent. And so you got to deal with that or try to find a compatible cellmate if they'll help you. So there's a lot of drama. In these super max prisons, I watched people getting shot by the police because the officers would have guns with rubber bullets. And if the gang members were fighting, they would hit a horn and everybody had to dive to the floor. And, you know, and, and then they, they give them one warning. If they didn't stop fighting, they started shooting at them. And so uh, that happened one day and I, I wasn't supposed to be in the supermax. And I, they told us to get to our cells. No, they told us to lay down. They hit the, they hit the siren. And I wasn't going to lay down on a dirty floor when my cell door was open. So I ran to my cell. When I sat down on my bunk and the door closed, I was covered in blood. And I wasn't part of this fight or anything. It was two gangs going at it in the, in the day room. And I told my cellmate, I said, I knew it. I knew I was going to get shot in this damn place. I got, I got caught by a ricochet. And so there's blood everywhere. He says, man, he says, man, you didn't get shot. You ran in the cell so fast. <laughs> Your head hit the, 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 the shelf that my TV's on, on the top bunk. <laughs> when you went, I, I was, went into my bunk too fast and I glanced my head, but I thought it was a ricochet bullet that got me in the cell. <laughs> so he said, after the fight was over, he said, you want to call the officers, get some medical care. I said, no, they'll think we were fighting. And then, you know, I don't know. Then I go to the hole. I go to lockdown. We're, here, we're not fighting. It was just an accident. So I cleaned it up. But all these experiences, really, I started getting into the word. I started getting into the Bible. I started reading more and more and more. I started working on my manuscript. Um, I love singing. So music was like really critical to me to keep maintain my sanity because you're surrounded by nothing but insanity and majority of the administration can care less if you're trying to change your ways or change your life because recidivism repeat offending is music to their ears because it's, it's job security for most of the staff mm -hmm. so there's no real encouragement to change many of the staff's corrupt not all of them there's some good ones out there but uh so they're bringing in dope for these gang members and everything else and you're surrounded by this insanity that the public thinks is doing something to help people in reality it's making most people worse so i fought for programs i started getting involved with the chaplain's office the mental health department the medical department and i was helping them um on the offender representative committee um to try to help these uh, inmates uh, enforce their rights like the adequate medical care you know constitutional standards of medical care and all that that even prisoners are allowed to get but they don't do it for people in prison they'd rather see you die than you know, it's $1,800 to cremate you, but it might be 300000 to treat you for something. So they'd rather just let you die. They give you Tylenol and send you on your way. So there's a lot of there's a lot of misery. And so it was rewarding for me to be able to help people and tutor people. And I fought for college courses because that wasn't going on. They eliminated that years ago in different states. And uh, eventually they came back to the facility I was at. So I took a, a course. Actually, it was about the speeches of Martin Luther King from Washington and Lee University. And... It was crazy because I had some acquaintances that were white supremacists. They're like, why are you reading about that guy? You know, what's wrong with you, New York? That was my nickname, New York, because I'm from New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, you know what? I, I, I kind of look at things the way Martin Luther King used to do. You don't judge people by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. 
until you get on my bad side, you know, I'll, I'll treat you reasonably, but I will not have anything to do with you if you start treating me like crap and you don't try to apologize or change, you know? So there's a lot of racism, you know, in, in, in the prison systems. And it usually is directed, believe it or not, towards the whites from a lot of the black inmates until, until somebody needs something. Like I was a law clerk, so everybody needed the law clerk. So then it would be, hey, New York, can you help me with my case? I gotta go back to court or I'm not getting medical care. And I would get them privately. I said, come here for a second, let me speak to you. And I say, you remember how many racist names you called me and every other white dude around here? I said, I don't really appreciate that. I can't tell you how to behave, especially in front of your homeboys and all that. But I'm a straight up guy, man. I've never called you out of your character. I've never had a racist bone in my body. I said, so if, if you want my help, man, just, just knock it off. Oh, man, you know how it is, you know. So people are completely different when they're around their clique of friends to when you talk to them privately or they need something, right? And that's, that's life pretty much anyway. So what inspired me really was as we went forward, my sisters had told my mother that I was dead. My mother's mentally ill. At, at this period and I was very close to her they wouldn't let me write to her or anything and uh I didn't realize it but they were trying to steal my inheritance which they they did when she died um so I lost about eight hundred thousand dollars you know about a year or two before I got released I had essentially no outside help because it's hard to find anybody outside to give a crap you know give a crap about you when you're in prison so I didn't really have outside help you know and it was just horrible so all these things just devastated me and I forgive my sisters, but uh, so how, how I got the reality show was, I was already working on positive things. One of my uh, best friends who introduced me to my fiance, he's uh, uh, Tom Madden. Tom Madden was the vice president of NBC. So he stuck beside me when I was incarcerated, up to, you know, to the degree he could, you know, and everybody has reservations about somebody who's been in trouble, you know, in prison or used cocaine, understandably. But uh, and then my co-author on my first book, which I wrote in prison, I wrote I wrote this in prison. It's it's about the wealthiest serial killer in American history, and I can't seem to bring it up because of the background. But it's called Sex and a Serial Killer. And if you look up here, it was covered by Nancy Grace, Queen of True Crime, on her podcast. And so Nancy covered that on her podcast while I was still in prison. Um, it's a again about the wealthiest serial killer in American history. So I've been in the New York Post, you know, National Enquirer several times. Um, and then I wrote a book when I got out about Galen Maxwell. But it's the show, the reality show came about by here I am getting some of this attention for this book. And an acquaintance said, you know, A&E is cast is uh, looking for people that are getting released and they're not going home to a family member for whatever reason. And in my case, it was over the inheritance. I wasn't going to go near my family. I wanted to avoid them when I got out, right? So, because uh, there was just so much animosity and heartache over, over what they did, more because they kept me from my mother. How cruel can you be to tell a mentally ill, you know, dying woman that, that her son, most important person in her life living, was dead? Yeah. You know, it was just, I don't even like thinking about it because it'll make me cry right now. It's very, very upsetting still. And uh, so I lost my mother. And anyway, I was offered this spot and it was about showing how it, it was it was put together as a docu series following people releasing from prison who were living with a non family member to study how how failure failure to find inadequate housing upon release leads to very high recidivism rates which is return to prison rates and usually that's because of drug addiction or alcoholism but then the other big reason is failure to find adequate housing so this is a big problem I didn't know existed because I I came from a pretty good family I've always had you know everything we need. 
So I never had these troubles. So this was new to me. So I had a pen pal. Uh, you'll see her on the show. Uh, strict Seventh Day Adventist lady. I've been writing five, six years. We were friends. Um, I was never inappropriate, never came on to her or anything because, you know, whatever. I just, she was in a bad marriage, got out of that. But I didn't know about being nice to her. She was developing a crush on me, which is flattering and all that. But I wasn't into her, you know. And then she married some some guy. And, you know, I, I, I'm not uh, in a position that I want to talk bad about them. But watch the show. It's called Inmate to Roommate on A&E Network. And for your viewers, you can go to the A&E app or go to play.aetv.com. And you can get it there or from the A&E website. It's streaming. Um it's got 11 million views on TikTok, and somehow I came out the biggest star of the show. I did, yeah, I did an interview on uh, TMZ Live, the biggest gossip show around, like seven minutes with Harvey Levin, and that thing got millions of views. It was on Fox TV. Um, I picked up, like, I came out of prison very depressed and uh, miserable because of what my family did to me, and uh, I had all these aspirations to do a true crime channel, which I have now, William Steele True Crime, and... Mm-hmm. You know, on YouTube, please ask your, your, your followers, man, subscribe. The link's in the description. But uh, so I have that now. But I got out. It was about me living with this really strict couple. I can't say a lot. I can't badmouth them. But let's just say it is a crazy, crazy story of a guy from New York City trying to get along with some strict over-the-top over Seventh-day Adventists from the Midwest. Wasn't a good fit. She was... Uh, trying to d- divide myself and my fiance and get in the middle of all that. But, um, yeah, so I don't know if you had a chance to watch the whole series yet or just some of the clips, you know, <laughs> have you ever been able to see it? I've watched a few of the clips. Um, I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I'm definitely going to, and I'm definitely going to order your books. All right, I appreciate it. So yeah, yeah the, the, I don't know how to get them to show up. Let me, if I hold it on my shirt. I can see that. Yeah. So it's Sex and a Serial Killer by Bizarre Times with Robert Durst by William Steele. Yep. And that was actually featured on Inmate to Roommate. They talked about it. I'm, I'm showing getting my first box in the mail to take yep. to a book signing. I took it to a book signing. And awesome. then I wrote a book about my unfortunate relationship with Galen Maxwell. Now, everybody knows she was one of uh, Epstein's girlfriends, and she was evidently getting minor girls for him to, you know, do things with and, and blackmail prominent people with including Prince Andrew and this one and that one. But so I knew her and years ago, you know, many years ago when I knew her and I was at the Palm Beach house in, Palm, in the Palm Beach Epstein mansion on the, on the water, it's multi-million dollar gated community and all gated home rather. And uh, I knew him, he was real weird. I, and, and there was a situation where they were trying to kind of get me involved with what, what was going on. I suspected it because there was always teenage girls coming and going. And so he, I turned him down, like, you know, to be with any of these women. I said, I said, why are there so many women? It looked kind of weird. He said, well, they're models and they're masseuses. They're giving him massages. I said, man, you guys are into a little more than that, man. I've got to get out of here because, you, you know, I'm not trying to stick around for that. And uh, basically, you know, I had many opportunities, but I turned it down. And then I started, I guess he had because I was providing other things for them, you know, cocaine once in a while and some other things. And mm-hmm. <laughs> when they were in, in Palm Beach and for whatever reason, Galen and I hit it off and we started fooling around and I was with her a few times with her adult assistant, you know, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not a 
you know, whatever guys do what guys do. And so, yeah, we had threesomes and all that. But she then started trying to bring these younger women in. I'm like, no, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going. But uh, the, yeah, so the inspiration and the show all came from like me just getting sick and tired of like making these stupid mistakes, thinking like I could do anything and keep getting away with it because it really caught up with me is what it did. Um, the family heartache was probably a big catalyst to me saying, you know what, success is the best revenge. So I'm going to make the most of this show. And now I've been offered a couple of movie deals. I have a second TV show. It's called Steal the Spotlight. And, uh, and we have, we're going to have singers on there too. So if you ever want to you know, sing for the show, but it's a, a second show. It's my own show now. Mm-hmm. Um, and because we have 11 million views on TikTok for Inmate to Roommate, I don't know what they're planning. And if I knew, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. But read between the lines. It's a phenomenal network. And I, I love A&E. And I can do nothing but talk good about them and Sharp Entertainment and shout out to my producer, Joe Ruser. So inspiring to me during this time, what changed my heart really was a combination of intense heartache on the outside, going through really, really real heartache over family matters. And it's one thing to be abandoned in prison and like, you know, this period is where, yeah, you know, maybe somebody I wrote to once in a while would send you 50 or hundred bucks to help you get a few things. But I went from being like really on top and probably making millions of dollars over the years and living very comfortably, South Florida, New York, traveling everywhere to like a few years into my sentence, like having nothing, you know, unless I was somebody in prison was looking out because I do legal work. I couldn't charge for legal work. You're not allowed. But if somebody said, hey, here's $100 in commissary, you know, I would accept it. So but I was no consistent, you know, pen pals or visits or anything. So I did all those years just like miserable and then the heartache of losing my mother. So what really inspired me was like, that snapped something in me to want to go back to the guy I used to be, you know, being a good guy who was really all about helping people. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, if I was in my mother's life or somebody like me, my, my sisters would have never had this opportunity because it would have been nipped in the bud somehow, you know, whatever. But uh, it is what it is. Like I said, I forgive my sisters. So all this, and one of them I was very close to, one I was I was never close to, she was always about money more than family, and it was just heartbreaking. So getting into the scripture a lot, reading a lot of Bible, um, really putting faith in practice, some of the promises of God, I don't know if you're, you know, if you're really into the Bible or not, if you, what kind of faith you have, but for me it was important, you know, in, in that situation, you turn to that and you realize there is more to this world than just, you know, this flesh and blood, this being, there's a spiritual realm around us we can't quite figure out, but it's real, it's there. You know, so um, it gave me some peace and inspiration. Music, I love singing. I'm, I don't have the best voice, but I, I'm actually on my true crime channel going to start doing songs by Bill, like the, the music of my life. Oh. And I want to try to sing along to my favorite artist, like Waiting for a Star to Fall. Do you know that one? Not sure. Not sure. By, by Boy Meets Girl, it's called, but it's a really good song. Um, but anyway, so there's various ones that really, as we all have, music that means something in different parts of our life. So I want to tie into that. And, you know, inspiring me is like the victims of Epstein who came forward. These were young girls who were, you know, abused in the most disgusting ways. And, you know, all for like, you know, for it's never right under any circumstances. But like this guy was giving them maybe $200 and then having them go with politicians and celebrities and you know, heads of state and princes and, you know, and all for blackmail purposes, pretty much. And then for his own sick desires, you know, Mm -hmm. and so those people inspired me, these victims who came forward. The last time I was with Glenn, um, 
I was restrained and I was held for like a day and a half. It started off a consensual situation between me, her, and one of her assistants. You know, fine, I'm a guy, it's all good, right? So it ended up really badly. And that's the last time I saw her. And because of this last incident, and I took stuff from the house, which I turned over to law enforcement. Years ago, law enforcement did nothing about it. I've been in counseling for this for years. I'm considered one of the few male victims that has actually come forward, you know, in this whole situation. I didn't, I'm not looking to sue. I was never looking to sue. But I told the story about that situation in that book I just showed you the cover of, which I don't know where I laid it down. Um, it's called Galen, Sensational and Pure. Mm-hmm. By William Steele on Amazon or my website, uh, williamsteelauthor.com. Again, links in your description. But uh, so those people really inspire me, you know, these, these young girls. There's so many, this vast majority have never came forward. They're too humiliated or you know, they, they get hooked on drugs or alcoholism. It destroys their life, as you know, what these things do to people. Yeah. And uh, especially women, it's just, it's horrible. You know, some people can mask it. Some people can stand up to it. Some people have never even told their own family members or siblings or husbands about it. And uh, those are the kind of people that uh, really, that really inspire me and it, it chokes me up because they've been through hell and back through no fault of their own and the hell that I've been through by incarceration losing my mother and, and the loss I sustained at the hands of my own sisters I brought that on myself you know doesn't give them a right to steal from me but I put myself in prison I don't blame anybody for the choices I made and it's so you know it's like the people that picked on my mother you know or took advantage of her mm-hmm. you know, or were mean to her or whatever you know a lot of our neighbors were wonderful to my mother they all knew my mother but you know People are mean. People can be really mean. I don't know how it is where you live, but in the United States, people are getting meaner and meaner. So I even noticed that since I've been out, things have changed in 18 years. But I've been out a year, and the show took off, and I think we connected on the internet. You were, you became a fan, or you commented on something I did, or vice versa, and, yeah. and, I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about, because um, you're doing some uh advocacy work now tell me a little bit about that oh yes i find that i I really was going to do this anyway but i find it's really important to give back and to help people that are incarcerated wrongfully incarcerated people we work with them free dave free dave reinhardt.com please check that out um you know he's set up his family stole millions and set him up to go to prison in california and so we also work with victims we're victim advocates now myself and Mary. And, you know, I just, I just try to use my platform to help people. And because of the show, it's growing, yeah. you know, and I don't mind doing, you know, big shows, small shows. I just enjoy helping people no matter what it is. It's my, it's, it's cathartic. It's a way to give back. It's amazing. I am truly inspired by your story. Um, I think that, you know, you've done like a full, a full transformation from being in prison to uh, making yourself well known and taking that and helping others. I think that's, I think that's amazing. I think, I think more people will take inspiration from your story and realize that, you know, if they're in a similar situation or, you know, people can change their lives no matter what their what their status is. You know, it just goes to show. You know, yeah, and I just want to send a message to your viewers. If your family member 
you know, you feel somebody's wrongfully incarcerated, if there's a cold case homicide, you want to bring attention to the cold case, you're welcome to come on my show. Um, wrongfully incarcerated people, if you have a loved one in prison, don't know how to navigate the system or understand things, reach out to me. I'm on Facebook, fan pages, uh, you know, William Steele, official William Steele on Facebook, YouTube. Um, reach out. I'm not, I'm not hard to reach. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much for your, your time. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And um, I'll definitely put in my description, the links to your books and your website and your, um, your YouTube channel and everything. So people can access and have a look at you and follow you and, and watch your show. It's amazing. I'm very excited about your new one coming out too. That sounds Sounds exciting, and you're on to new and exciting things. It's it's amazing, William. Thank you for being my guest. I sure appreciate the opportunity, and, and uh, we do enjoy your music. I shared it with a few people today again, and uh, let's uh, let's have you on my show as well one day soon. As a matter of fact, so sounds wonderful. All right, thanks so much. Nice meeting you. Nice to meet you too. Take care. Thank you. Bye.